We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 77. By the way, I've thoroughly become convinced that um, God doesn't quite play by the rules I've set out for him. And sometimes I get in my mind how he's supposed to do something. And um, he often has other ideas. Um, but Psalm 77 is a great example of that. And also, it's... Um, it's an example of how some of the psalms are written. They open up with a verse that's the conclusion. And then it comes back and shows you how that conclusion was reached. So let me read to you verse 1. It says, I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. You say, well, that sounds like a great testimony. It does, doesn't it? This, this guy's probably a really neat guy, you know. He's writing experience. God's using this scripture. But then watch what happens next. He says, In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained. My spirit was overcome. You held my eyelids open, so I am troubled and I cannot speak. Um, I've been experiencing that. He seems to hold my eyelids open, and I'm up at 3 or 4 in the morning. You say, well, finally you just fall back to sleep because of the sweet presence of God's spirit. Nope, not at all. I just kind of stay awake all night and I'm tired the whole next day. Um, And so I can relate to the psalmist as you hold my eyelids open and I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. And I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. And I call to remembrance my song in the night and I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. And then it begins. And you may not think this is appropriate, but the Bible would disagree with you. He says to God, or he speaks, will the Lord cast off forever? When you make a mistake, is that it? You're, that's it. There's no hope for you. Will he be faithful or favorable no more? Is the chance to be forgiven over? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And I said, this is my anguish. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. And I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. 
And I will meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary who is so great a God as our, and who is so great a God is our God. And sometimes we can look at our own life. Uh, this has been happening to me multiple times for months. It happened again this week, started Tuesday night, or I guess it be Wednesday morning. And I feel like I have no right to talk to him. He seems to wake me up, let me remember things of my deeds, and shows me, um, you know, that was wrong. You blew that. You say, well, wow, that happened once to you. No, it's been happening for months. You say, how come so many times? Maybe because I screw up so much. And he's been doing that and doing that. So, so do you wake up just pumped in Jesus? No, I wake up tired. And I wake up not feeling very good about, about Bruce. But the psalmist is guiding us. He says, I will talk of your deeds, of your greatness, and I will remember what you did, and who is there a God like you? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have, have your arm, and re- with your arm you have redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and they were afraid. The depths also trembled. And of course, for a Jew saying this, this has a different meaning than what we would gather. Waters, the word for sea in Hebrew is death as well as sea. They're the same word. And the word for depths is techom. That has two meanings. It can mean the depths, but it also in Hebrew means chaos. And so, the waters saw you, O God, and the waters were afraid of you. Death is afraid of God. And chaos trembles in the presence of God. And the clouds poured out water, and the skies sent out a sound, and your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Lightnings lit up the whole world, and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, and your path in the great waters and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He goes back and he's remembering the stories of the acts of God. And I think sometimes when I'm at my worst, I just go and open the scriptures and I start reading the Old Testament or I start reading the Gospels, which is my favorite place to go. So go with me. And go to Mark chapter 5. And if you can't find it, it's after 4. But chapter 5, verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side... A great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. So he's being thronged by a large crowd. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, that she may be healed. 
and she will live. If you've got your Bible here, just turn the page and go to the end of chapter 6. And by reading these verses, sometimes it helps us see what's happening in chapter 5. Um, go to the very end and go to verse 53. Do you have it there? Okay. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and they anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. And they ran through that whole region, surrounding region, and began to carry on beds who? Sick. You say, that's a weird way to greet someone. Oh, you know, the governor of California is here. Quick, quick, go to the hospitals. Line the streets. They carried out on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he entered into the villages or cities or in the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged that he might just that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were healed. It seems that Jesus usually healed through touching. Does that make sense? Or, you know, lay his hands on. And, and we do that, don't we? We lay hands on when we pray for people. We lay hands on people when we ordain them. The laying on of hands on top of the line. And um, I had in my mind how that works. You put your hand on them. Well, I don't know if I've shared with you, but I have a very close friend who for about a, almost it's over a year and a half now, I have been praying for her. Um, she was my co-worker in my Youth for Christ days and a tremendous woman of God. And she's married this really, really good man. Wonderful people. Uh, my wife and I think they do more in two months for Jesus that's describing the gospel, what really works gives. We think they do more in two months than we do in a year. And they've just lived their lives like this. Well, She has very serious diabetes. She went in for a hospital f- operation five years ago to get a lap band because they figured that if you give her a lap band, it will stop the diabetes. But the doctor was kind of one of those doctors that was in it for the money. And he quickly operated, nicked some of her organs, which later then... Um, and didn't tell her, those actually fused together. And then um, when she was um, through with the operation, um, I don't know if he didn't sew them right, but several of the stitches pulled out. And then eventually they had to go back in and um, open her up, and her whole inner body was a mess. They had to go and separate each organ and all of that. And then... Things, another thing went wrong, and then she got several diseases because it's kind of dangerous to go to the hospital in Fresno. And uh, by the way, if you ever get sick and you're on the 99 and you have a really serious illness, keep driving. <laughs> it's called the Bay Area. Uh, keep going. Or if you're coming south, get to L.A. And, um, you know, it was just, there was a lot of, she caught several viruses in the hospital, and she almost died several times. Um, I started calling everybody I knew that could pray could pray well that I thought God really listened to. Uh, I have a very dear friend in Africa uh, named Benson, and um, he I wrote, wrote him, I said, Benson, and I told him the story of my, my fo- former co-worker, 
And he emailed me back. He says, there will be 400 churches in Africa praying for your friend. Then I went to my mother, who's eight times better in prayer than I am. Um, and then I went to a student at APU who could, you know, when he prays, God really listens, you know. And, and I tried to call him, and he was out of town. And I thought, what right do you have to be out of town, do you know? But I finally got a hold of him, and, and all this. I thought, these powerful people pray, should be healed. That's how I had to figure it all out. I had it all mapped out for God. And then I heard that her husband was actually in worse health than she. He was the caregiver. He just sucked it up. He's a tremendous man, never says anything. One time the doctor looked at her and he says, you really, looked at him and says, you really need to be right beside your wife. But he won't quit. He's always taking care of her and keeps going. And then I figured out what God's going to do. He's going to do, he prays to these powerful people. And somewhere last August, the Spirit spoke to me and said, no, your prayers. I said, no, 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 no. I don't have the gift of healing. Your prayers. And I thought, no, 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 she'll die. Your prayers, he said. So I went to school last fall. I went up to my holy man friend named Valeri. He's a, he's a guy who went to KGB jails for his faith and all this kind of stuff. I said, Valeri, I'm going to pray you get the gift of healing. He, he said, no, Dr. P, you should have the gift of healing. He said, nope, you should. He says, Dr. B, you don't want the gift of healing because you don't love your students enough. I says, nope, that's not it. I said, do you want me to be really honest with you? If I get the gift of healing, I'll think I'm somebody really special, and then I'll become just a freaking idiot. I said, you're much closer to God and more holy, so he, you should have the gift. You know. And then we got interrupted in our discussion stuff. And so I kept praying and praying. And then I finally got this idea. Ah, I'm to lay hands on the husband and then he'll lay hands on his wife and I had all these reasons and, and if I gave them all to you would say ooh you're a smart man well none of that happened July 7th she was supposed to go in for operation but it didn't look like she would get that far and the doctor said you actually then they came and said you actually need you have this bleeding ulcer and then I saw pictures of it it was just it was awful and then he said, and then there was a point where she could only get a spaghetti piece the size of an angel hair piece of pasta. That's all that would go through her throat. So she couldn't eat. And they tried to feed her through those things. And that often um, threw her diabetes out of control. And, and um, her body was eating itself. Yeah, she was starving to death. And so they had to go in for this operation. And did, but they set it way back because some doctor was on a vacation or something. And so finally, July 6th, um, a housewife went to visit. And uh, I found out that the housewife found out how ill she was and said, oh, I'm intruding. And it's the night for the operation. So she, the housewife is going to turn around and walk out. And the, the family says, no, 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 you're her, an old friend. Please come on in. So she walked into the back room, the housewife did, and she saw this woman in a fetal position and barely breathing and struggling for every breath and she started to turn and go and the sister said no 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 she would want to know you're here so the housewife touched the edge of her elbow her breathing came back she sat up 
She was there for three hours talking about old times, and the family all got her. They all gathered, had this great thing. Her, the breathing went bad again about midnight, so they rushed her to the hospital, kept her alive. She went through the, the, the double operation, and it, it worked. And there were complications, but they were mastered. And um, then my wife's been going to Fresno because we have two little grandchildren there, and she helps her mom. And uh, I said, you know, if you're going to go to Fresno, go see our friend, you know, go see Marilyn and Paul. And Marilyn's gaining weight. It's slow. She's living. But I see, God healed her, not the way I had it, I had it planned differently. And we pray, and he hears us, and we have a plan. What will that look like? For this man in chapter 77 of the Psalms, he prayed the Lord heard him, but he went through long seasons of doubt. You say, well, that's not cool. That's not how God should do it. God needs to play by the rules we've written. He doesn't seem to. Okay, He seems to have his own way of doing things. So in, in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 5, let me read to you. You have this guy coming to him, asking him to heal his daughter. Right? How many of you would do anything for your daughter? And what man in this room wouldn't do anything to save your 12-year-old? And we know the religious leaders at this point in time are starting to turn against Jesus. And so maybe this man, he's a synagogue ruler. He probably doesn't want to deal with this rabbi that his fellow leaders have condemned. But maybe, maybe when it's your daughter that's on the line, it's different. And he comes and he lays or prostrates himself in front of Jesus' feet. And he tells him, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come. Lay hands on her. She'll be healed. And Jesus went with him. But a great multitude followed. That huge crowd still there. And they thronged him. He probably had a hard time going five feet because all the people were just pressed against him. And a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and who had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came from behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment. Now, how's the healing supposed to go? He touches you, but... We know that at the end of the ch- after a while people were touching him, but you touched and you're healed. So she had said, "If only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well." And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. You say, "Ah, that's kind of going to the plan." You touched him. Remember, they were touching him at the end of chapter six. But then Jesus kind of screws things up. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? Um, The other gospel account of this says it was Peter. And I can just imagine Peter going up to Jesus and saying, Hey, everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? Come on, 
that really important guy's daughter is dying. But he looked around to see her who had done this thing, and the woman, fearing, trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Did she want to do that? No. See, she had touched a rabbi in an unclean condition. A law given to the Jews in Leviticus 15 years and years ago, given for the benefit of women to keep them from unwanted sexual advances during their period, um, had been there to protect them. But now a law that was made to bless, in most cases, has now backfired on this one situation. And so for 12 years, no one had touched her. Lest they touch her, they become ceremonially defiled. And then they have to go through a purification ceremony that takes seven days. And so this woman had gone without human touch for 12 years. So she tried to steal the miracle. She didn't want to be caught publicly defiling a rabbi. And most of all, this rabbi, who was such a great powerfully popular man and so she tried to sneak in and grab it and he makes her come forward and tell everybody this do you think she was happy with that I wouldn't have been you know if you talk with my wife she'll say at his heart Bruce is extremely shy she's much more outgoing than I am you say, but you speak publicly all the time and you seem to really enjoy meeting people. Oh, I always do. I think people are cool. I get on the airplane, I always get to know everybody. I, you know. And you say, well, why do you do that when you're so shy? Well, it's because Jesus doesn't play by the rules. I was trying to commit myself to Christ as a freshman in college and I went to a Christian college and uh, I noticed that there was... Um, a lot of cool guys to hang out with, and we all I had good friends. And then I noticed there were girls, too. They were really cool. And, of course, you really wanted to sit at lunch with a girl, but, again, that would take courage to go up to meet a girl. And so I always sat with my friends, my boy, you know, or male friends, and we would just act like idiots because then, you know, we wouldn't have to go. No girl would talk to us anyway, and we were safe, you know. Um, so I'm coming around with my tray, and I'm, in the, you know, it's at the cafeteria, it's at the school, and I spot the guys. I thought, cool, this will be fun. This we'll have a great time, you know. And I'm heading towards them, and the spirit says, "See that 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 girl sitting there all alone? Go over and sit next to her. No one wants to eat alone." I thought, I said, "No, no, no, no. <laughs> you know me. I'm shy. I'll die for you. But I will not sit next to a stranger, especially if it's a girl, and make conversation. We don't do that." And you know that. And I, so I'm heading, and the spirit goes, sit next to him. And I go, no. He says, yes. No, I sit next to her. And you say, well, so you weren't much of a ladies' man. Not at all. So I think I came up with some lame thing like, hi, I'm Bruce. And she goes, hi, I'm so-and-so. We had this greatest conversation. It was the best lunch I had that year. Well, second best. Because two weeks later, I got my tray, I spot the guys, I'm on my way, and the Lord says, see that adjunct professor over there, the one sitting all alone, go sit next to her. I go, no, I thought we established this. We argued several times I had lunch with the, at the adjunct. 
And he kept pushing me out of my comfort zones. He kept pushing me out where I wasn't comfortable. He wasn't following my rules. And I'm very thankful. Very thankful. And I'm sure the man who prayed in Psalm 77 wanted to pray and then God heard him immediately. He didn't want to go through those struggles, those long, long nights of prayer. And I wish God had healed my friend the moment I prayed once and he didn't. But he kept pushing and I kept learning. He kept moving out of what I thought he should be doing. And he healed through a housewife who touched an elbow. I was thinking, well, how's that? That's not, that's not how I had it envisioned. And God wants to work through us. He wants to work on our lives. But maybe, maybe he'll do things the way he wants to do them. So he grabs this woman out of the crowd, makes her confess, and now he will not be able to preach the following in a synagogue, the following service. And uh, so he speaks to her. And let me read to you what he said. He said, you idiot, you're ruining my ministry. Sorry. Okay, all right. It's, it's different. All right. He calls her what? Daughter. Is that a pejorative term, a mean term, or a kind term? It's a kind term. Daughter. Family. Your faith has made you well. Well, This doesn't work. You have faith if you raise your hands at an altar call. It's when you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, completely God, completely man. You have to believe in the Holy Trinity. You have to confess with your mouth. Did she do any of that? No, Jesus isn't playing by the rules. What did she do that he calls faith? She grabbed clothes. Say, okay, I want faith too. Okay, you ready? All together we'll go. What did he tell the man who had the withered hand? Remember that's in Luke 6. He says, stretch out your hand. And the guy's probably thinking, hello, that's the problem. It's withered. And what did he tell the person who was lame that they low remember that great story they lower him through the roof they rip the roof up and they destroy property and then the, the text says and Jesus saw faith and I thought faith they destroyed property that's not faith that's criminality and Jesus saw it as faith then what's he tell the man who's the paralytic get up and walk and of course that's why he He was brought through the roof. He couldn't walk. But until the man physically acted, he did not receive the fullness of God. And the action of ripping a roof apart was counted by God as faith. And that woman who risked horrible, horrible public condemnation by faith reached out and tried to touch his garment. And God saw it so differently than we do. And he sees you and I. He sees what we're struggling with. He knows 
we're perhaps like the woman. We don't feel he would really want to deal with us. We're poor, we're penniless, we're sick. He's not going to touch us. But maybe the psalmist had it right all the time. You cry out to the Lord, you go to the Lord, you come to the Lord, and she couldn't, didn't feel probably worthy enough to speak to him, so she just stuck out her hand. And he saw it and stops. Look what, look what happens, though. While he was still speaking and helping this woman, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble that teacher anymore. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid. Only believe. I would have a hard time with that if I was that man. One of my children almost died of asthma when he was a year and a half. Uh, it just tore me apart. And finally they took him into the hospital and he was there three days. Um, my wife never left the hospital. She slept every night in the hospital. Um, and I remember going to, to, to class. I was going to grad school and I remember driving out and going to class. And as soon as there was a break, I was on the phone and, and I... You know, no one would answer, and then I was, and then finally, when class was over, I I ran, I got on the phone, and Karen picked up the phone, and she said, "We're home, he's fine, he's breathing." And then I noticed that every muscle in my body had been just strung tight, and slowly each muscle, starting from my hands and my neck, and I began to realize I'd lived for three days in absolute tension. I know what it's like to lose a child and if the child died and some religious guy tells me only believe I, I wondered what I would have done but he says don't be afraid only believe and he allows Jesus to come to his home he could have gotten mad and joined the religious leaders that hated him but he allows Jesus to come and when Jesus gets there, um, he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly, and which was, you know, just we, that, thing, that sounds weird to us, but a lot of times, have you ever noticed when someone dies, sometimes the people are very, very close, they can't cry? You know, and that's happened to me. And so in the ancient world, they knew these things. They had good psychology. They had good wisdom. And there are cultures all over the world that practice this. The, the community comes and cries for you. And so they were doing it. They were doing their neighborly duty. So he comes in and he says, um, Why make all this commotion and weep? The child's not dead, but sleeping. So, why did Jesus lie? Because was she sleeping? No, she's dead in her door now. You go, I didn't know Jesus lied. Well, I tell you, the Bible's a lot more interesting when you read it closely. Child's not dead, but sleeping, and they ridiculed him. But when he put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the child 
And we also know he's only allowed Peter, James, and John. He's made the other nine stay way back with the crowd. He takes these five people. He, these five people, the mom, the dad, these three tight head apostles, and then the dead girl and Jesus enter this room. And he goes there where the child's lying, and he takes her by the hand. And you say, well, that defiles him. Isn't that their Jewish line not supposed to touch the dead? Yeah. Yeah. He's already been defiled by the other woman. It doesn't seem to bother him. He loves the laws of his father, but he knows the reasons for those laws. And Because, by the way, did anybody in the Old Testament ever touch the dead? And God was pleased. When you think of a prophet... Do you know the stories of Elijah and Elisha? Who laid on top of a dead boy and his breath came back. You say, well, that was breaking the law. No, God knows what the laws are for there. He knows that in a hot society like the Middle East, if you get you know too familiar with bodies that are dead, eventually you're going to spread disease. And we're having all those problems you know, in Africa because I think they have customs on how to bury people and the, the doctors are telling them not to do that, and then they don't understand, and it's all this chaos. But those people who are doing that are not stupid. They're just trying to follow their traditions and show respect. And so Jesus broke the tradition, the law, because there was a higher reason this time. A little girl shouldn't come back from the dead and not have someone hold her hand. So he took the child by the hand and he said, Talitha kum. Which, Talitha is the diminutive form. We have this in Spanish, don't we? Er señora and señorita. And what's the difference between the two? Huh? And a child. And, and the diminutive form, the sweet term. And so he, that's what it means in, in, in Spanish. It's, of course, what it means in this form also means this in, in Aramaic or Hebrew. And so he says, Talitha kum, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl arose and walked. And she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. And he commanded them strictly that you tell who? No one. Now this seems a bit contradictory, huh? The woman who did not want to let anybody know she got healed, he made her come out and say everything. And now he tells everybody to shut up that he's done a much more greater, more spectacular miracle. It seems like he doesn't really know how to run a good PR campaign. Why would he do that? And why would he tell everybody she's sleeping? when in fact she was dead. Two thoughts. One is in Hebrew and in the Old Testament, one of their metaphors for death was sleep. We have it, don't we, in America? He now sleeps with the fishes. Or you fall asleep with the fa- you know, to your fathers or whatever. And he's basically, though, using a metaphor that gives the impression that she's not dead but in a coma 
So when the little girl comes out of that room alive, people go, oh, well, maybe, you know, she's come out of the coma. When in fact, he brought a little girl back from the dead. Why would he hide it? He says, let no one know and said that someone should read Bible verses to her, right? What's the last phrase of verse 43? Give her something to eat. He's like a good, good grandma. My grandmother always say, eat. And you didn't mess with her. You ate. And so he's, he's extremely practical. And you say, but why does he hide it? Why does he not want this to be known? Maybe you don't use little girls as propaganda pieces. Maybe that's inappropriate. Maybe the little girl doesn't need to, for the rest of her life, you know, never date because guys who thought she was cute would go, no, Jerry's daughter died. That's the dead girl. Or maybe they, when she went out to skip rope the next day with her, when she got better, the other girl goes, oh, there's the dead girl. You know, he just, he, maybe, I don't know. But maybe the God of the universe is willing not to play how we would play the rules. Maybe he thinks an individual little girl is a lot more important than his reputation. Well then, and, and as you read through the Mark, book of Mark, you realize these are not consecutive stories, but probably there were weeks in between them. But then he went out from there, and he came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many in hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this that when, when, which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. This guy's a carpenter. He's a blue-collar worker. He doesn't, he's not part of the great rabbi schools. He's not a scholar. His dad's not was never important. We know his family. They're just like us. And Jesus' ordinariness offended them. Imagine Jesus spoke in your church. You blew him off because he didn't have a PhD. You blew him off because he wasn't ordained. I remember the university approaching one of my, um, my former students who was our chaplain. His name was Chris Brown. And they said, um, you need to get a, 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 you know, an MDiv, a Master's of Divinity. And he met with me one day and he says, will I preach any better if I have an MDiv? I said, Chris, you outpreach every one of us in the entire school of theology. No one wants to hear us as much as they want to hear you. God is pouring through you. He used to speak on Wednesday nights and 1,600 kids would come, many from non, um, not APU students. Over 100 came from Citrus just to hear the word of God. He had no degrees. He had the anointing of God. And he talked very plainly so the kids could understand him. And he just made the Bible sing. 
And some of our faculty were offended. And I'm thinking, hey, idiots, this guy can preach. Um, speaks at a church of 7,000 now. He's pretty good. One time he came to me and he says, you know, I spoke in chapel. You didn't come. I says, I didn't know it was you. He says, well, he says, uh, you better start coming or I'm going to steal your material. And he says, I do it better than you. So I went and heard him. And he did. He did steal my material and he did it a lot better than I did. This guy's a really good communicator. I mean, he's just, he is. And, and it's, it's, he's, and sometimes we just, we throw people away because we won't listen to them. I think a lot of times as young people, we don't listen to our parents because, oh, we know them. What do they know? And you say, well, does your mother have a degree? No. When your friend was dying, who'd you go to first? My mother. And I said, how do you pray? He said, you asked your mother how you pray and you have a PhD and two masters? Yeah. What's wrong with you? When she prays, things happen. When Bruce prays, well, maybe someone else will pray for you. Maybe there'll be a housewife that'll touch their shoulder. You say, does that bother you? No, I actually, I'm starting to get to the point where I think this is sort of fun. You know, and I hope to be entertained by you in the days and years to come to hear stories of you are going out and laying hands on someone or praying for someone or someone will come and, and want to talk to Manny about salvation because they just watched you live your life and you are the ones that got to them. You all, you'd be surprised. Um, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. Now he could not do mighty works there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and they were healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And then he called the twelve to himself and he began to send them out two by two and to give them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their belts, to wear sandals, but not extra clothes. In other words, he said, just go there. Depend on the fact that when you preach, someone will feed you. And just lodge whoever offers you a place to stay. You say, is that how you go overseas? Are you kidding me? I take extra clothes, I take extra suitcases, I take everything, I take money. Like when you guys go to Mexico, do you just go, oh, we'll just trust in the Lord? You say, well, is that, are we wrong doing missions that way? No, no. I think the issue is something maybe a little bit more profound. A lot of times we feel inadequate for the task and we feel vulnerable. And maybe we should accept that vulnerability and then we allow the power of him to move through us. And so we're to go out. And then they went out and preached that the people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So did it work? 
to vulnerably go out and just obey. It worked. One thought in closing. Jesus drew the crowds because of what? The miracles. So when he gave them the power to heal, what did he give away? His ability to be popular. And I've met so many, so many pastors that they, everything has to go through them. I love what Rawl did one time. He says, let's pray for this person that's sick. But all of us, and he had 15 men there. He says, let's all lay hands on him. Everybody get in there and touch him. He says, that way if God heals, no one knows whom God zapped him through. <laughs> and I heard that a while, and I thought about that, and I thought about some of these stories, and I thought, oh, how cool. What a creative adaptation of this text. It isn't about Rawl. It's about God. It's not about the pastor. It isn't about you, the Holy One. Who knows, you know, God uses the most amazing people to bless us and who he wants to work through. You say, well, I, I'm, I don't know the Bible as well as someone else. Well, you can. we have great classes here. You, you have a fantastic teacher. You stay here long enough, you'll know the Bible extremely well. In fact, you know, I came here the night or the day before my, my wife went into the surgery for open-heart surgery. I said, you need to go where Jesus is and where Manny is and those people are, Jesus is. So I brought her here. You know, he said, why? Because I'm not an idiot. can't figure out God, but I'm not a complete idiot. And I knew God's here, so I brought my wife here. And the next day, she, she came out flying. You say, didn't you tell, tell anybody? No, I just came here. Because I sensed him in you, and I wanted to be where he was. He wants to work through us. And he wants to hear from us, even if we feel we're not worthy to talk to him. No matter who we are, he wants to hear from us. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.